When I moved out to L.A., I had an anxiety attack. And then come to find out, it's because moving somewhere where you're by yourself, like so far away from what you know, can be one of the most traumatic experiences you can you can have. So it was a very foreign thing to me. The next two days, like I was calming down and I wrote this whole thing to myself that I say to myself every day. I've said it to myself every day for the past like five years. Mm -hmm. It's like this whole this whole poem that I wrote to myself and it really just gave me a lot of peace. It started like this. It's um, everything that you do in life is going to take the same amount of commitment, love and dedication. So with that, move not with a hint of anticipation. Stay true to yourself and be patient until you reach your destination. And don't be fooled by the easiness and luxury of procrastination. It will disguise itself as something you need when feeling the lows and acceptances of your frustration. Whenever this happens, think of your current situation and ask yourself, do I choose to be defined and confined by my self-imposed limitations? Whatever the answer may be, think of these words in full self and realization. Only you can and will be your greatest creation. Welcome, everybody, to the Faking, Faking Notes, Notes podcast. podcast. Podcast, podcast, podcast. We're back. We're back. Hey, so we got in such a wonderful conversation coming up with uh, a wonderful guest. His name is Wesley Sumter. He is a percussionist from Atlanta, like your boy. Your boy. Uh, your boy. He's uh, working with the LA Phil Fellowship Program right now, which is phenomenal. Uh, he's a one of the members of the Lineage Trio, which is a phenomenal contemporary percussion ensemble. And uh, we also just recently, this past Sunday, performed at the Hollywood Bowl for the Juneteenth show for uh, you know Global Freedom, and it was an insane, insane experience. Like we got to dance on stage. We got the whole audience dancing. It was such a vibe. And it was crazy because we had been trying to schedule a uh, conversation with Wesley for um, for some time now. And then I, I met him in real life before we got him, him here on the pod. So it was just it was just such a uh, it, was, it was a lot of serendipity. Also got to share the stage with Anthony McGill for the first time. So the, the whole faking fam sphere of influence is growing and you'll find in this con this conversation that he is not only just like a wonderful performer, you know, as you'll hear in, uh, in e even the different, uh, the segments of his music that we'll put in, but you also understand he's a brilliant mind and how he sees the world. We say this all the time. He's one of us, one <laughs> of us. Like he is an embodiment of the faking notes and the things we're talking about. What, uh, all of our listeners, you yourselves, us on the pod, the guests we bring on, we dig into his philosophy, his journey, his failures, the things he re regrets, uh, like losing all tough auditions, not being the best person in high school, <laughs> like all these other things at the end that we we learn from, we grow, and he's just constantly dropping little gems, great quotes, uh, great recommendations of ways to go out, figure out your craft, hone your skills, be a better person. Uh, he's got an awesome journey from Georgia to the LA Phil, and he shares that with all of us. It's just great to kind of hone in and focus on yourself, and he really provides a template for how to improve as a musician, as an artist, and as a person. Yeah, so if you want to get in, get into more Faking Notes uh, podcast action, be sure to subscribe to our channel, follow us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, download it. We need download. to get those downloads up so we can get some more ads, you know what I'm saying? Uh, and leave us a review. We read the reviews and your, uh, your feedback is our oxygen. Uh, join our Discord. We're all hanging out there. If you'd like to share us some of your beautiful money and some of your declining in value bitcoin we'll take it we'll take it off your hands support us on patreon check us out on youtube we're on tiktok we're, we're everywhere now we're, we're, we're in your feeds wherever you're at we're in that feed so go out and follow the faking notes podcast but without further ado let's jump right in our next guest wesley, wesley sumter, sumter.
Wesley Sumter, thank you for joining us on the Faking Notes podcast, bro. Hey, man, thank you for having me. Man, that's a very interesting that Faking Notes podcast. I got to know how y'all came up with that. Yo, uh, Trevor, you want to, Trevor, you tell the story. You, you okay. tell it most often. So, we're brainstorming. We, mm. you know, we're going to be going and covering lots of things like entrepreneurship, branding, like what it means to be an artist in the 21st century. Mm. And so we had this great name, Taking Notes. Taking Notes. Okay. We record seven episodes. One, one of the, the, the famous magical cliff in podcasting, because everyone starts a podcast mm -hmm. and almost no one makes it past the seventh episode. Like that's statistically where they realize like, oh God, this is hard. I have to edit. <laughs> it's like, I hate my voice. I'm not funny. Uh, this takes hours to edit. Uh -huh. I have four listeners. And so the seventh episode is where it drops off. Drew, a uh, content creation expert, we knew let's just record seven episodes before we even release any of these things. Yeah. And so we go out and we record seven episodes, some interviews, some us cracking jokes. And then we realize there's already a taking notes podcast. <laughs> it, was, it was some defunct one about like computer programming, some guy in Seattle. So it wasn't in, in Apple podcasts. Like we're, we're not that dumb. We definitely like Google this, mm -hmm. but for some reason I was like, let me just double, let me double check. And so this guy hosted it on his own website. We would have been fine. And so I'm like in panic mode because we've been saying the word taking notes podcast in like every interview. I'm like, we're screwed. And I text Drew and uh, Drew in like two seconds, like instant reply back. He was, he was feeling a little good. You know, he was having a good day. Uh, the two seconds, yeah. like bacon notes. And then that was it. We changed it. Like, <laughs> to be, to be more specific. That's beautiful. I was, I was outside of First Presbyterian Church in Santa Monica mm -hmm. smoking yeah. weed and chatting with Sidney Hobson mm -hmm. when I got the text. So I was just like, man. You were already there. It was an instant reply. It was an instant reply. And it was a solution. And here we are 120 episodes later. Yeah. Yeah. That is you caught him you caught him in his stream of consciousness yes sir so pure like there was no more crisis he's like you trevor you thought we had a crisis there was no crisis uh, that, uh, that's the thing you know trevor always touts the stoics right mm -hmm. and it's true like there you can't control what happens outside if you can only control what happens inside and so in that moment i was just like man that's actually probably better <laughs> But uh, but That's enough funny, about man. us, my man. I appreciate the I appreciate the compliment. We love this. We love, love the name of the podcast. It just feels right, you know. When when you go out into the world and you leave school and you're trying to make a career as an artist, you are you're faking notes. You don't know what you're doing. You're just like throwing <laughs> whatever sticks to the wall, right? Right. Uh, before we get into some questions about how you fake notes. How you're building your career? <laughs> uh, can we talk about like at least for me, it was a it was a formative apex moment in the ever uh, cyclical nature of my freelance career. We we played the Juneteenth, uh, you know, concert for freedom, global freedom at Hollywood Bowl this past Sunday. Yep, you were tearing it up on the percussion. Hey man, getting it done. Getting it done, son. <laughs> so I wanted to uh, let's let's talk about it, man. Like, so what? After we played our last notes, uh, what was the what was the first thing that was going through your brain? Like, what, what kind of what kind of feelings were you having? Well, the main thing was, you know, I told my parents this. It, I felt like that was an experience that we as uh, black orchestral musicians don't really get to have, like we've expressed every ounce of our music making through our instrument, but also through other aspects of things that influenced our music making from, you know, sounds of blackness to, you know, uh, Belle Bib DeVoe and all that stuff, Shaka Khan, Earth, Wind and Fire, all of that. But then, you know, doing the William Grant Still stuff and working with Robert Glasper and other aspects of art like Debbie Allen. So it's just kind of one of those things where it was like, man, like, we did all of this. <laughs> we did we did all of this and did it so well. Like mm -hmm. even in the rehearsals, like when we had the rehearsal at uh center staging, mm -hmm. 
And, you know, some some folks just started carrying on and just carrying on. And I was like, man, there's no other place we could do this except in this room right now. Facts. You know what I mean? It was just can't take us nowhere. Literally. Cracking jokes. Literally for like two or three hours. Yes. Talking shit. (laughs) I mean, it was it was just like, wow. I felt like I was back in high school. Exactly. You know, I was just like, man, this is like. This is what we do this for. I mean, and, and it's funny because I feel like everybody just had the same sense of just like, oh, man, I'm just really happy to be here. Like, my mm-hmm. spirit needed this. Like, this mm-hmm. is just, uh. but it was a great production, great concert. Uh, we was in the all white joints. Word. Just looking yeah. clean. I'm hey, telling you, man. Look, that was... you were looking fresh. That hat was crazy, bro. Yo, man. Hey. I was like, hey. You know, that actually came mind. together. So I bought that whole fit. From Zara, like the day before. Facts. Nice. Okay. Yeah, I went and, to Uniqlo. <laughs> yeah, see, I was gonna do that too. I went. I literally went downtown to Seventh and Fig or whatever. Yeah. Where that whole thing mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. And the hat I was wearing, like I have a bunch of those. Those are called like brimless caps. So it's brimless basically a cap like yeah. that, but take this off. Okay. And then work. you just fold the rest of it up like this. So it's basically better than a beanie, in mm-hmm. my opinion, because you know West Coast folks, you know, they love to wear them beanies in ninety degree weather. I never yeah. understand it. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so I remember I went to Zara like a year ago and bought this white one. And I was like, man, I'm never going to have a use for it. And then I just, it just all came together. Those I was cow. like, oh, okay, cool. Had my necklace on, looking like I was about to start reading some poems and Dude, affirmations. I was, <laughs> you got bars? I was like, man, move over the way Black thought. I got some things to say. <laughs> That's literally what I looked like. I mean, it was. Man, it was hilarious. Like I came in and folks was like, "Oh, okay, all right." Looking like a griot over here. All right, gotcha. Okay, but no, man, that experience was very fortuitous and just everything about it. I just I'm gonna take forward with me as I continue to fake my notes. Let's go, man. You know, for me personally, the the moment that kind of like blew me away is when the Earth, Wind, and Fire members came out. And just like oh, yeah. bowed to us, like thank you for being here. I was like, wait a minute, what you mean? Like, what you mean? You. Yeah, <laughs> like, like one of the three dudes, of the elements. That's what I'm saying. Like one of the guys, Ralph. Um, I forgot his last name. Ralph Harrison, I think, mm-hmm. uh, who's in the band. And he came up to us in the back and was like, "Oh man, y'all know your your Jim Chapin and your your Wilcoxons and all that. Like this is all just percussion and drum stuff." And we're just like, "Yeah." Yeah, yeah, we know all of that. And he was like, yeah, that's what I teach out of. He was like, I'm just making sure y'all well study. And we're just like, what? <laughs> did we just get quizzed? Yeah. We did, literally, by one of the elements. Yeah. Um, yeah. But- <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like, okay, number 17, play it right now. Like, just- <laughs> I mean, and, and he took the time out to just ask our names and like all these, and you know, Verdeen White is up there. And, yes. You know, that dude is a cat because... He comes to like some of our LFL concerts and like right. hangs with the bass session and like all these other things, man. It's really cool just to see all of that come together, man. It's kind of crazy. So in in terms of like fulfillment or maybe new goals that were created, do you have any do you have any new aspirations after experiencing something so transformative? Man, just to dream bigger, to be honest. I mean, I've been for the past couple of weeks, um, I've been watching a lot of sports psychology videos, um, mostly by one of the foremost experts on it. His name is Dr. Bob Rotella. Mm-hmm. His main sport is golf that he basically helps athletes with. I mean, but he also like he helped mentally train the Eagles the year that they won the Super Bowl, Whoa. stuff like that, Whoa. like that kind of level of, of sports psychology. And his whole thing is like, you know, if your dreams don't scare you, then they're not big enough. And so... I was watching, literally watching a video of him last night where he's talking to these guys and he's like, you know, the parameter at which you set your dreams is the parameter at which you set your life, you know? And he was like, look, 20 years ago when I was however young I was, I wouldn't have imagined my life being where it is right now, but that's because I dreamed to a certain point that Mm -hmm. it took me over that edge or took me to a certain spot. So I got to be on stage with some of the greatest performers of all time. And some of the greatest musicians ever. Like, man, you know, I do my research when I'm on stage with people. So I'm looking up like people in the orchestra and I'm like, what? What? Like just seeing who does what. And I'm just like, yeah, that was a bad orchestra. Like if you gave us like if you gave us a month, we could go on tour doing whatever. Like with a group of that caliber. And I was like, wow, like 
my vision had been so small. All I wanted to do is just be one of the one of the best musicians I can be and be one of the best percussionists and all well around musicians I can be. But it's like that's too vague. I need something a little more specific. So now one of my goals is by the age of 40, 41, I want to be one of the biggest like music producers in the game. Cause I've That's already cool. started doing like producing through logic and yeah. taking, and you know, it's different when you have a specific type of musical mind, like I do, or any of, any of us that perform music on a regular basis do. Cause you hear things differently that other people don't. Um, but that's one of my goals. Um, another one of my goals is to, you know, play in a top tier orchestra, you know, full time, which is still like a goal of mine, you know, um, before it was just like, I just want to play in an orchestra, but now it's like, no, I gotta, you know, I already want to do this. Um, and then another goal of mine is to start some type of music mentorship program in some kind of way that's not funneled through a big organization like a symphony orchestra or a wind ensemble or anything like that. It's more like music mentorship, but we also, it's like life mentorship as well, because growing up in, in the band in high school in Southwest Atlanta and stuff like that. That space created um, so much of an oasis and so much of uh, a place of recovery for a lot of students that didn't have it at home or didn't have it in certain spaces. And so to see that transformative power, not of music, I'm not talking about music. I'm just talking about the community that music creates and what it brings. You know, I've seen people literally, I mean, we all seen it. People get saved from the streets. People, you know, learn different life skills from their collaborative efforts with other people, just different things like that. So I'd love to start something like that, you know, for whoever, mostly young students from the ages of like 18 and under, but you know, those are my goals now. So those three specifically is what I I got. I love that honing in and focusing in on the goals. Welcome to the Faking Us podcast. Let's yeah, man. We, <laughs> this is what we do. We faking it till we make it. Yes, sir. This is what we want. And I love that too. You made a great point because, uh, again, all of us Southerners. I'm from North Carolina. Yeah, uh, a, a fellow fellow Georgian, uh, right here. We'll we'll dig into that later. But yeah, that's something that people miss in a lot of our classical music backgrounds is band culture, wind ensembles, yeah. the marching band. Yeah. I mean, come on. You, you just you don't bump into that experience uh, in an orchestra in most places, but at least in no. North Carolina and a lot of the other South, like that's what you do. It's marching band. My yeah. county did not have an orchestra. Not a single school had an orchestra. There's no strings. There's no money for that. It was all about the band. But yep. I, and for me, I was you know I was gonna be Mr. Serious Musician. I was the only mm-hmm. one who like cared of that, and I played the clarinet, which meant I get picked on nonstop. Uh, so it wasn't, I wasn't crazy about marching band, but what I was crazy about was I enjoyed the culture. So it wasn't even necessarily the music itself. I enjoyed right. the fact that you had this brotherhood just like you would if you were on the football team, if you were yeah. on the basketball team. You hung out, you goofed off, <laughs> just like this Jew teeth concert. You're like, yeah. Oh man, I'm glad no one like recorded this. We could get in trouble. Like, we're just dicking around. Like, like that social media wasn't good then because you're just dicking around, goofing off, like poking each other with with all sorts of instruments. Uh, but you get that camaraderie that you don't often get in music. It's fun. You're in the bus going three hours to who knows where to play some mm-hmm. competition so your school can get a little trophy maybe. Um, but the act of like working towards some unified goal, just simply like hanging out. Uh, the the heat of competition and yeah. just growing up in in that like type of environment right. that is a saving grace for people who might not be able to do sports or that's not like their particular interest right. uh it is just like a saving grace to like have a, 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 a mechanism to funnel that energy mm-hmm. and that's something that i really liked about band do i want to go out on the field anymore uh when it's like 100 degree weather and slomp around in the sledge <laughs> no i'm good uh, nah man come on get them knees up man we nah. were yeah. <laughs> and, and it's just like <laughs> why are we wearing white pants like who whose idea oh, was like the white pants like this is this is a terrible idea like this is this is dirty it's nasty uh but <laughs> speaking specifically in marching band because i think it seems like a core part of of your background i'm gonna tee up drew here it is uh Let's talk about let's talk a little bit about drumline. Why don't you t- oh, take us away, Drew? Oh no, did y'all, did y'all look that up? <laughs> let's talk a little bit about drumline, Drew. Bro. Drew, head us off. Gro- growing up, I was a huge fan of the drumline movie. 
you know. That's what that I'm is the movie. That movie is the reason why I play music. Word. Nick Cannon slapped in that movie. I fell in love with Zoe Saldana for the first time. Same. Dude, and, me uh, and you are. This is why. Yeah. Why, bro, we, why, we're why, we just now, why do we just now meet like a few days? <laughs> Man, I, dude, birds of a feather. We got, we got a lot to talk about as Georgia boys, and I'll get to that soon. But, like, can you tell us any crazy stories uh, from your time drumming for Drumline 2, a new beat? <laughs> Man, let me think. I mean, that movie. First of all, it was severely under budgeted uh, mm-hmm. compared to the first one. And I mean, if you've seen the movie, <laughs> it's, just, it's so bad. It's, it's not so the same. Bad. It's not the yeah. same. <laughs> like, why, like, why do you need two and a half hours for that? First of all, the movie was two and a half hours. There's no reason a movie like that with that little bit of a story needs to be that long. <laughs> we're being, the acting is not that here. great. No. You know, even though a lot of them have gone on to do bigger things and better things because they've gotten better at acting, maybe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, maybe, man. I have no, no idea. idea. Yeah. Um, the craziest part about that, doing that uh, experience was there were certain aspects where, like, they didn't want to, like, feed us, like, for all the work we were doing. Sometimes they didn't want to pay us, like, because it was a different production company. And we're just like... Yeah, but we're basically making this movie because here's how low budget it was. Word. There's a marching band, and everybody that's in this movie is either from Atlanta or is has gone to an HBCU and marched. Bethune Cookman, FAMU, South Carolina State, Southern Jackson State, Tennessee State, all this other stuff. Clark Atlanta, right? Now, it was only a band of like 90 people. But we played every band in the movie. So we had to change uniforms. No <laughs> <laughs> That's our low budget. That's our low budget it is. So we played out like, you know, the drum line, we actually had enough to have two drum lines. So like I was on AT's drum line, and then you had the Morris Brown looking folks that they called Southern State because they couldn't use Morris Brown's name. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Yep. But then here's the other thing. They also used the band members as extras in the movie. So, oh. <laughs> so, so there, are li- there are literally scenes in the movie where you can literally see me dancing at a party. Like, <laughs> ain't got nothing to do with playing the instrument. They're just like, okay, cool. Well, y'all come back tomorrow. So just bring like summer clothes. It's supposed to be a party. Oh, so now for this restaurant scene, do this. Oh, now let's. <laughs> Let's do this walking scene near underground Atlanta. Please don't go past the Waffle House. If you do, you'll be out of the shot. And we're just like, (laughs) man, what? And it was like that every day. That that had to be the craziest, like how under budget it was. I mean, it was a cool experience because we made a lot of money. Yeah. But, you know, would I do it again? I don't know. I mean, (laughs) it's... That's amazing. Let's we should, we should brainstorm because it needs a better title. Title. And so I was thinking. I mean, you can have too drum, too furious, or um, <laughs> my my personal favorite, uh, drum and drummer too. So uh, <laughs> how about new? There's <laughs> <laughs> the sound bite. Yo, so Wesley, I wanted to I wanted to circle back earlier. Yeah. Uh, we've referenced that you're you're from Atlanta, yes sir. Um, and I th- I can't believe I'm saying this, but like I think you're the first Atlanta originated musician we've had on here. Oh yeah. Other than me, I'm from Atlanta too. No, what and part? Yeah. Shout out, shout out to the <laughs> A, bro. For real. <laughs> yep. Look, classic. I'm sorry. Well, you haven't heard that in years, yeah. bro. <laughs> That's just okay. okay. Yeah. <laughs> Little down on the east side, boys. Man. Yeah, yes, sir. Uh, my uncle actually used to be in the studio with Little John before he was before he blew up. They used to do some studio because my uncle played saxophone, so they used to just mm-hmm. like fuck around in the studio. It was crazy. That's cool, he man. Blew up, and my uncle's like, man. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah. So, w- which part of the A are you from? I'm from uh, Peachtree City, uh, Fayette County. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So for me, it's more so like Southwest Atlanta is where I went to school and everything. Like Adamsville. I'm okay. not, I don't live there, but like, yeah. you know, from preschool all the way through high school, I was Hell basically yeah. there. Um, Hell yeah, man. You know. So, so uh, and I saw you went to University of Georgia. Yep. My brother did as well. He's a fellow Bulldog. Shout okay. out to the Bulldogs. And the boys won the mm. championship this year. They did. 
Did not know that. I don't pay attention to men. Think well, because they beat Bama, which is like our number one. Oh, okay, there you go. There you go. The you tide can know. roll on in the other direction. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> the tide can roll in every other direction. <laughs> Stomp them boys out, man. We owed them payback like three times. Facts. All those years. years. Guys, man. Dude, it's really, really bitter rivalry. Alabama and Georgia. Yeah, no, nah, yeah, yeah. But what well, it's was, funny because like, ahead, go ahead. Because the part of Georgia that like my family lives in, which is like ten minutes west of Atlanta, is Lithia Springs. So it's like Word. you pop over, and then you got Six Flags, and then you got Fulton County. Facts. So like anything west of Atlanta is basically like country. So like <laughs> that's crazy, right? Them going west that way, you just literally see road tire, road tire, because everybody like people would commute. Because, you know, going to, like, Birmingham is, like, what, an hour? Yeah. Hour yeah. and a half or something mm-hmm. like that. It's like people commuting from Athens to Atlanta. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, but forget them. They'll they be all right. <laughs> yeah, They're they going to be all right. It, it's, it, the the rivalry right. will continue. But during your time in mm-hmm. Georgia, did you see yourself being there and, like, building your career in Georgia? Or, yeah. Or like, yeah. And, and, and what, what prompted the decision to come out to, to USC? to study and move to LA because I, I felt very much the same way when I was a kid. And then I realized I had a moment where I was like, I need to go somewhere else for a little while. Well, for me, I wanted to be a band director because both my middle school and high school band directors had such a tremendous impact on my life. And specifically my middle school band director, because he gave the foundation for just especially someone who didn't have a private teacher until I got to college. Um, Everything I did was basically him inspiring me to learn. You know, he was one of those guys that could play anything. He was a woodwind specialist, played clarinet. Um, Jazz was like his main thing. He went to Jackson Mm. State University and played in the band there, which was really great. But he could do it all, you know. And he was a hell of a drummer. I mean, but the amount of love he gave me was – you know, in seventh grade, you know, he saw I was playing like, you know, because I was playing in jazz band, percussion, ensemble, all these things. And he created all of that, you know, from a very small budget. But he wanted to make sure that his students had all the exposure in the world and gave us a vehicle for that exposure. Instead of just doing this whole thing where it's like, let's go to a community concert. Let's go see something. No, it's like, let me give you the tools so you can actually put on a show for people in a different environment. So you can actually play with other musicians who walk different paths than you so that you can actually choose what type of experiences you want to have in music. And I'm thinking of that and realizing that just now, as I say it, what you'll learn about me, I have streams of consciousness where things start to click and I just start going. So this yeah, is one of those moments. No, that's why we want you here, man. <laughs> that's what that's podcasts much- are for. <laughs> yes, so. actually. But he gave us that vehicle to choose our own path. No matter what it was, whether you had someone in the, in the middle school band who wanted to be a composer, you had someone who wanted to be a teacher, you had someone who just said, I just want to perform. You had someone who said, I don't know what music is going to do for my life, but I like it. So I'm going to stick with it and see what happens. The story was in seventh grade, you know, I didn't really have any instruments or anything. Couldn't really afford it. This man literally gave me a free drum set, like a free mm. five piece drum set with cymbals, hardware. I still use that drum set today. It's got new heads on it. It's in my parents' basement back home. Um, but I use that thing to gig all through college, just trying to make money, this, mm. that, and the third. And that really made an impact, man. And even all the way through high school, he would come up to the to the high school and help out and stuff like that. And he'd have me come down and teach the kids, um, do all these different things. But then there was a community of band directors in the Atlanta public school system, from North Atlanta High School to even on the east side with Southwest Cab. Um, just all these different band directors that I surrounded myself with because I wanted to just kind of be them. And I saw the impact they had. And I was like, okay, to pay homage to them, I'm going to make sure that I go and get a music education degree and go back. My goal was to go back to my high school and be the, be the band director there and carry on with that. You know, my yes. high school band director and I talked about it. He was like, oh, yeah, man, I'm training my replacement here. And I was like, okay, cool. I'll take that. That's fine. <laughs> but that's the thing, though. We had such a close relationship. He and I were planning to go to conducting conferences together at, like, mm. Columbus State University. Yes. Like, I, like, when y'all tell y'all I was in the shit, I was in it. <laughs> yeah. Lord. No, like, for real. Like, that's just how I am with stuff. Mm. You know, it's like, you don't take for granted the opportunity when it's when it's presented to you, no matter how small or how big. We can talk about that later, too, yes. when we talk about the fellowship and all that other mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. Um. But when I got to college, you know, I don't know what it is about being in Georgia. 
everyone who wants to study music always wants to leave Georgia. Yeah, they man. Are, it's so weird. They all yeah, so you can attest to that. Like mm-hmm. and I'm sure it's the same thing in North Carolina too. Same. Like everybody wants to vacate. It's almost like that great migration mindset with everything that's, you know, kind of progressive and in, in, in general. Because art itself is progressive, you know. Yes. But yes. um <clears throat> It's because the music schools have a bigger name. Like, of course, everybody wants to go to the conservatories, Juilliard, NEC, all this other stuff. You know, so I put a shoe in for Oberlin Conservatory, uh, University of Michigan. Florida State University is my number one choice because I went to a summer band camp that they always have or summer music camp that they always have every summer. And it changed my life. Um, And then, of course, all the HBCUs, they would come to my high school because they just did. Um, And, of course, I auditioned for them just to get practice. and then my backup choice was the University of Georgia. I didn't want to go there. And it's funny how life works out. <laughs> so, you know, I auditioned at Oberlin and they're like, man, that's crazy. Like everybody was just taken aback at the fact that I didn't have a private teacher. And I could play just as well as the students that did have private teachers. You know, it just is what it is. Like, you know, but. So Oberlin, I got waitlisted. University of Michigan got waitlisted. Mm-hmm. Florida State University got accepted, but they didn't give me any scholarship money. Later on, I found out that, you know, they did want to give me like a full ride and everything. But, you know, when it comes to university and then the school of music, like that's two different mm-hmm. entities. So when the school yeah. reaches out to you and says, oh, you owe this much money, but <laughs> you don't hear anything from the school of music, you're just like, OK, bye. Yeah. yeah, I'm good. Yeah. So um because nice. they wanted us to pay like thirty something thousand out of pocket a year, yes. and that's the out-of-state tuition mm-hmm. stuff. And my parents were just like, Nope. Um and then the University of Georgia, you know, I got in on a special admin through the, the professor there, and uh they were like, Yeah, you can come. And then the Hope Scholarship takes care of like tuition and stuff. Hell yeah. So when I got there, I studied with the great Timothy Adams Jr. And the reason why I say the great, because he is arguably one of the greatest tempanists that you could ever come across in America. Mm. He doesn't play anymore. He hasn't played for about 10 years. Um, but he used to be the principal tempanist of the Pittsburgh Symphony. And wow. um, he was hired by Lauren Mazel in his last year. And I mean, that dude was just amazing. I didn't know who he was because he left Pittsburgh and came back down to Georgia because he's from Georgia. Um, and he, you know, he kicked my ass. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, as any good teacher would. I nice. mean, he's a master pedagogue. A master drumline pedagogue. two. Drumline two. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. He really didn't even want me to do drumline two. He was Word. like, because I was going to Eastern Music Festival right afterwards. He was like, yeah. I mean, is this really going to help you? I was like, man, whatever, bro. I'm going to do, I'm. this is my life. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. Facts. Um, Make your money, black man. Literally, literally. <laughs> and the cool thing about Tim was like, he was one of the only black men in the profession doing that kind of stuff too. You know, coming up in the 80s and went mm-hmm. to CIM and studied with all of those guys. But he uh, saw me practicing like my first year, just like grinding it out, grinding it out. And he was like, yeah, you know, Wesley, like you can really do the performance thing. I mean, you're sounding good. You're practicing a lot. And I can show you how to do that. I can show you the path and this, that, and the third. And I was just like, "Mm, yeah, I kind of do like playing. (laughs) (laughs) And then it was I was done. So my second semester, I became a performance major. And I took it literally. I took it literal. Like I went from playing in one or two ensembles like a semester to like six or seven. Because my goal was if I'm a performance major, then I need to perform. And I need to know what it's like to take all of this nervous, frenetic, exciting energy and use it to make music, right? Because I'm behind the curve. You know, I did all state and stuff in high school, but it's like when you're when you're not used to being on a track teaching wise or teacher student wise, you're constantly playing catch up. And so that need to constantly grind it out is obviously why I'm where I am today. But Hell yes. um, so fast forward five years, I'm doing all doing a lot of great things, subbing with the Atlanta Symphony, going to the Aspen Music Festival, um, did a little stint with Macy Gray. Oh, in Atlanta, which was cool. Yeah. Um, just a lot of different things from a performance aspect. And then it came to grad school stuff. I wanted to go to CIM. That was my number one choice because he went there and I really yeah. love the way that orchestra plays and the section plays. Yes. And then 
I also wanted to go to the University of Maryland to study with Javon Gilliam, who plays in the National Symphony. And then when I went to Aspen, I met Joseph Pereira, who's the principal timpanist in L.A. Yeah. And I saw him play and I was like, oh, man, like I kind of like I like his energy. I like yeah. I like this. So I said, man, what's you know me? I'm just very frank about it. I'm yeah, like, yeah, of course. Man, so so what's going on with uh, the TA spot? Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah. no, no, I didn't say it like that. I said, I said, yeah. I said, man, so what y'all got going on at USC, man? Yeah, yeah. yeah. What's good? What's good? <laughs> what's good? And he was like, man, I mean, you know, this would actually be a good year to audition because our TA is about to be done. Mm. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Asking <laughs> you, you'll cool. receive. You know, hey man, so then I was like, okay, let me just apply. Lo and behold, I applied. I got into all three schools. USC was the only school that gave me a TA. Mm. So then go. I was like, okay, do I go to CIM? They gave me full tuition, but I still have to pay to live and yeah. you know, be in Cleveland. Yeah. Um <laughs> yeah. It's a big it's a big ass. Uh, Daniel Daniel can uh can empathize. He went to CIM. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Um, great skies, man. Them great skies. Yes. Uh, and then <laughs> University of Maryland, like they said, my grades were too low. I had a three GPA. That's all I needed because I was practicing my ass off. Look, yeah. Um, yeah. And it worked out. You know, you I ain't got to know about no screaming. Yeah. I'm saying no, I don't. No LA Phil's screener. not like. Let me see that that GPA. <laughs> Hell no, nah, man. Nah, man. Them folks at uh, Maryland were like, yeah, we can. You can. You're admitted, but you can't get the scholarship until a year afterwards. I was like, okay, y'all out, boom, out. Bye. Yeah. yeah. So then I was like, mm, go to L.A. for free for two years, <laughs> and that's what really made the decision, man. Because it was also one of those things, and I feel like people don't do this when they apply for grad school. You got to realize it's not about you applying to like ten and twelve different schools. Because one, that's a turn off to the people that you're auditioning for. If they see you're auditioning at 10 other places besides theirs, they're just going to be like, okay, I'm not going to give you no money. For what? Well, like, you already aren't really thinking about this as a viable option anyway. You're just trying to... And plus, who got all that application money? $150 mm. per All the flight money? Mm. Accommodations? Yeah. And it's like, you don't even, even want to go there. Why, why are you doing this? Like That's the thing. You you yeah. you do it because you want to say, you know, it's like how in high school, like when people like apply to every college and get all the scholarships and like this person racked up in $300,000 in scholarships. Yeah, yeah but they only going to use 15000 of the bitch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to go to the one school that didn't give them anybody because exactly. it's the most prestigious. Exactly. That's not real. So, That's not real money. But like I applied to only those three because I knew each place was a viable source for me. I knew all of the teachers at each place and I saw myself thriving in each environment. So I took a chance on the one that was the most uncomfortable because when I moved out to L.A., I had an anxiety attack. Um, And they come to find out it's because, you know, people tell you, you know, that moving somewhere where you're by yourself, like so far away from what you know, can be one of the most traumatic experiences you can you can have. Um, and I had an anxiety attack in my sleep. Like that's mm. some terrifying stuff. Mm. You know, never had one since. Never yeah. had one before. So it was a very foreign thing to me. And then I wrote the next two days. Like I was calming down, and I wrote this whole thing to myself that I say to myself every day. I've said it to myself every day for the past like five years. Wow. It's like this whole this whole poem that I wrote to myself, and it really just gave me a lot of peace. And mm. LA has been the place that it's needed to be for me. Would you be willing to? Is it, yeah. too, is it too personal? No, 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 no. Would you be uh-uh. willing to? So I went on USC's campus, and you know it's a beautiful campus. Yeah. If anybody's seen it, and they have this fountain in the middle of it, you know, next to the Trojan horse and Tommy Trojan, which I don't know why the hell you call that thing Tommy Trojan. <laughs> <laughs> like you know what they did with that horse, right? Not a good, not a good. Uh, mm, uh, not, I mean, it was probably like. 10 times bigger and it yeah. caused a lot of destruction. Um, <laughs> but I was sitting in front of this fountain and I, it just kind of came to me because, you know, we had, I had some family stuff. I had an aunt who wasn't doing too well and yeah. she was in and out of the hospital. So I had to fly back to Atlanta like for 24 hours. That was mm-hmm. crazy. Came back. But so it starts off. Um, it's very and it started to rhyme unknowingly. Yeah. So it, it started like this. It's. um Everything that you do in life is going to take the same amount of commitment, love, and dedication. So with that, move not with a hint of anticipation. Stay true to yourself and be patient until you reach your destination. And don't be fooled by the easiness and luxury of procrastination. It will disguise itself as something you need when feeling the lows and acceptances of your frustration. 
Whenever this happens, think of your current situation and ask yourself, do I choose to be defined and confined by my self-imposed limitations? Whatever the answer may be, think of these words in full self and realization. Only you can and will be your greatest creation. And that was it. That's beautiful. And it just came to me like, you know, I mean, I've, I've, I've spoken it and read it to myself so many different ways and I find new meaning in it all the time. Even like I was practicing the other day and I was getting frustrated about some stuff and I just had to look in the mirror and like take the procrastination line and just be like, bro, (laughs) what are you doing? Relax. Like, you know, so it's, I mean, it's always interesting, but that's the story of how I got to LA. Um, So Mm. there it is. It's, it was it's a journey. I mean, that's that's the beautiful thing, man. Like you have no control of where you're going to end up. You think you do. And yeah. the lack of control can either create fear or excitement. Yeah. And for me, it's created more excitement than fear. Um just because there are so many things that have continued to happen over time. Things that may not have worked out and I'm like, "Damn, <laughs> but then I see something else yeah. and I'm like, oh, well, wait a minute. This is actually, okay, I'll just go with whatever happens. I'll listen, whatever. Keep it moving, you know? And, I, and you know, you don't learn that in school. You don't learn that in music school. You don't learn that a lot from your teachers. You don't learn that a lot from your peers sometimes. It's a very personal thing, you know? So, but that's it. It's, that's amazing. it's so beautiful. Yeah, thank you for, for sharing that, Paul. And it just reminds me when you hear and read about the the greats in air quotes, mm-hmm. leaders, generals, mm-hmm. w- whatever. So many of them have this kind of reflective practice. They meditate, they journal, mm-hmm. um, bringing it back even towards like the Stoics, like uh, Marcus Aurelius, like mm-hmm. it's the meditations, but really it's just him writing in his little journal and it's yeah. thinking about, it's like thinking of like little fundamental things every day. Yeah, you know, yeah. like he's like, what am what am I in control of? Like he meditates uh, on his death, memento mori. Like, mm-hmm. and why am I getting upset about this? I can't control this. And he's doing this while the world around him is collapsing. He's mm-hmm. getting backstabbed by his brother. There's constant war. He's a general. He's a leader. But he's just thinking about his farm. And he's like, yeah. am I a good dad? Like he's <laughs> like, <laughs> and, 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 and like all these other things. And it's just this like act meditation to like center and focus yourself and like look at it it's led you to where you are today you've been on these like late like a laser like focus of path but the path isn't straight we're leaving room no. for serendipity it's all it's, over the well place. it's crazy you say a layer a laser it's like yeah it's a laser going in a house of mirrors yeah <laughs> eventually it'll get out to the other side but it's gotta you know it's got bump around so. there it does man it does Trevor, I think you'd like to. Have you read the Daily Stoic? Do you have that book? Oh, I've got. I I listened to Ryan Holiday's podcast. I've mm-hmm. read. I've read. Um, the obstacle is the way. That's the mm-hmm. most one of his more recent ones. And mm-hmm. like, I like his little pod because it's you know once a day. But also, he sells too much stuff on his podcast. We've got to talk. Oh, to actually, him. okay. I was like, like he's got <laughs> like like you get a five minute podcast and half of it's like. You know, like pitching his, his book and his courses. It's like, dude, I subscribed. Oh. I know. I've I've read your book, man. Um, like his, <laughs> his little his like little his little Instagram, it's great because the the thing and why I've just shown recent interest in like the Stoic philosophy is because it's just like every other philosophy. It's just like Buddhism. It's just like almost every culture kind of gets back towards mm-hmm. the same kind of tenets. You know, right? Yeah. Like, stop worrying about these other things. Control only what you control. You can't control the actions of others. Like you know, work on yourself, um, get up and do the work that's being human. But at least like why I like about like the Daily Stoic is that no one wrote down these tenets. It was it was an amalgamation. It, there wasn't a, like a holy scripture that kind of defined it. Right, it was just right, an amalgamation yeah. of very different types of people's writings and thoughts. And they're like, these people were putting the philosophy in action. It yeah. wasn't a write this down in the script and then, you know, we think about it and we feel good because we're smart uh, or spiritual. It's like, no, like they put these into action. And like yeah. the whole point is to do this philosophy. Right. And and they keep it simple. Yeah. You know, here's like five things. 
like if you keep track of this and you like stick to this, it can help you out. And so I don't know. That's why I've shown my recent interest. But yeah, Ryan Holiday, he's great. Um, stop selling me stuff on your podcast. I'm already listening. So, like, <laughs> <laughs> I already have your books. I'm, we're good. We're good. <laughs> Wesley, thank you so much yes, for sir. like all of your vulnerability, your openness. Like this has been such a stellar conversation. I've learned so much more about you, even outside of all the research. And you've been so generous. I wanted to you know, begin wrapping things up. And we like to end our episodes with a, with a round of questions called the faking five. Lightning faking round. Five. The faking five. So are you ready? Are you ready to, to, to dive into the faking five with us? I am the faking five. Now, so I got to have a sound effect to that. Yeah, we do. Okay. Producer Daniel, you know, what's Producer Dan- we need a faking five sound, sound effect. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We're, we're going to work on is that. Is that drumline too? It's just like <laughs> <laughs> work in progress. Okay, we'll we'll come up with some. Much so, love, uh, much love. So for the for the first one, uh, what is a problem in the world that needs to be fixed but no one is talking about? Uh, how do I phrase this? <laughs> the biggest thing is empathy, but everyone needs to stop lying to themselves. That's we we lie to ourselves on a daily basis. We we lie to ourselves and tell tell each other that we're good people. We lie to ourselves and tell us that, you know, we have these things under control, all these different things. But it's like as soon as you tell yourself that you lose an angle of correction, which means like if someone proves you wrong or if something in life proves what you're trying to tell yourself is wrong, you have a visceral reaction to it. And so you tend to be like, oh, no, that possibly can't be right. The kinds of, you know, so when the empathy part comes in, everyone thinks that their issues are bigger than the other. Obviously, there are so many issues in this world that need to be worked on. But if you ask person over here, issue number one, three, five may be more important than two, four and six. And if you ask the other person, six, one and three may be more important. So it's more so of us understanding that we're all in trouble. We all are dealing with something. And if we take a shared experience of how we deal with those things to allow each other to, you know, express and do all these different things, then we can kind of move in a specific direction of like, okay, so how do we fix this? Okay, no empty promises. How do we actually get on the ground and do something? Because I'm tired of seeing this happen to you. I'm tired of seeing this, 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 this. So that's the other part about it. Like when people lie to themselves, it's hard for them to take action. You know, it's hard for them to mm-hmm. to actually move forward in some kind of direction. I know this ain't the fast part of the five, but this, this <laughs> no, 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 no. It's it's not yeah. about fast. It's it's about more of like the the insight at, from an artist's perspective, honing know? in. Oh yeah, for, well that's yeah. And, and I I watched part of you guys' episode with Michael Francis last week, um, where he talked about how music is the only. I don't. I can't rephrase it, but music is the only activity it. that like. Yeah. Yeah, like activates all of those aspects of the human psyche and all those different things. And I never knew that. And so when we bring if we as artists come from it at a certain angle, then I feel like we're the bridge, you know, that allows people to kind of be like, ah, OK, I still don't fuck with that. But OK, yeah. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, so that's what yeah. I think it is. Okay. People lying to themselves and lack of empathy. I agree. It's beautiful. Question number two, if the concept of money didn't exist, how would you spend your time? Ooh, how would I spend my time? I would I would probably literally just go backpack somewhere. Just be in nature. Like literally, if I didn't like if I didn't have to worry about money, man, I'd get off the grid. Like for <laughs> real, for real. I would literally get off the grid because you learn so much when you get away from the noise. Even music. There's like have y'all ever had this happen where you're where like your ears are tired? That happens to me like at least once every two months. You know, I get to a point where I'm like, I can't listen to any music. I can't even listen to people talk. Like I can't watch mm. TV. I can't do anything. The most I can do is drive home with no music, just a quiet drive home. That's the most I can do. Um But yeah, no, I would I would be like the monks in Tibet, man. I would literally <laughs> just go off and do my own thing and just just Breathing have my time. Exercises. Yeah, literally, just just have my time, man, and just you know, I mean, if I had to do anything else, um, 
you know, other than music, it would definitely be something in wildlife research or so because I love mm. nature. I love animals, love all of that kind of stuff. If I didn't do music, I'd definitely be doing that. But, you know, you kind of need money to do that, too. So, hey, uh, look, but that's <laughs> so my mom always says we have three. My mom has told me since I was a kid, she's like, music is just one of your careers. I was like, what are you talking about? I can't even play the viola right yet. It's like, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Don't worry. You'll have at least three careers. And so I, as I get older and I'm 30 now, I'm like, yeah, you know what? Like when we do obtain a level of financial freedom, there will be a need to do something else. There will be a need to, you know, use the wealth we accumulate from our art and from making the world a better place to augment our impact as well in other ways, maybe that are not related to music. So that's true. I fuck with that. I fuck fuck with that. Uh, Starting your music school. Yeah. Starting starting the music school. Like going yeah. on and yeah. doing that. Yeah, exactly. So uh, question number three, what is the best advice that you've received and actually followed? Ooh. Ah, <laughs> I had a friend of mine, um, her dad, he's, he and I are really close. Um, and he, you know, you know how country folks are. They just have those yeah. one-liners. <laughs> and, and, they just sit with you for the rest of your life. Sometimes they're fun. Like he had this one that would be like, "Oh, Wesley, man, you know you're my favorite turd, and I never shit you." Like, <laughs> I love that. That's you can amazing. hear it in the voice too. Like you know how it's like you. And I've heard okay. that said so many other times, but I've never heard it said so poetically yeah. like him. Yeah, you know, or my dad has one, sense. has a number of them where somebody would be like, man, how you doing, uh, Mr. Something? He'd be like, oh, man, you know, I'm just a squirrel trying to get a nut. To- <laughs> <laughs> or my middle school band director, he's just his country. He would have this thing. Somebody would be like, hey, Mr. Jeffrey, how you doing? And he would say, everything's honey, but the bees don't know it. But you know, bees don't know it. That's... <laughs> You see how Damn, it that's like put it on a t-shirt. and yeah. beautiful. <laughs> put that in the Etsy shop. Let's <laughs> look literally. Thank you, fam. Merch, sheesh. But I would have to say the best piece of advice I've ever gotten that I uh, like implied in my life or implemented to my life on a regular basis is very simple. It's something he told me. He said, um, "He said, Wesley, I don't care what you do in life. Always let your yeses mean yes and your noes mean no." Very simple. And so I later on turned it into one of those ideas where it's like, you got to take everything that comes with that yes, and you got to take everything that comes with that no. So it kind of makes decision making a lot more simple because we're all very indecisive and we all have like that thought of, like, oh, we can do the X, Y, Z. But if you're going to say yes to something, you got to take everything that comes with it, even if it's backlash, even if it's like gritty hard work or if it's fun. If you go to say no to something, you got to take the no, which is maybe missing out on money from a gig, maybe not doing, but you said no to it. Honor that commitment. You know what I mean? And it's made my life a hell of a lot easier. And he told me that when I graduated high school at 18. So that's beautiful. We've heard, we've heard of like a couple other like yes, no variations. Like the, uh, my aunt would say it. Drew said, I've heard it from a lot of people, but you know, it's either a, a hell yes or a fuck no. And just like to, like commit <laughs> commit to something like it's either a hell yes or it's a fuck no like just commit and then you'll hit it harder and then ah oh, geez yeah. there's a, there's another one oh saying no to something is actually saying yes to something else yeah and that's something yeah. I forget because we you you get you hear about that gig and you're like weighing in and you're like ah oh, just, yeah. just like and you feel bad for saying no to something but it's like yeah. no I'm saying yes to my time to do something else. And suddenly you feel better about uh, blowing everyone off. So it's great. Yeah, <laughs> that too. I mean, I'll do you one even better. I did this really quick. I did this run challenge uh, like during COVID called the 4x4x48. Four four okay. And it was started by this former Navy SEAL by the name of David Goggins. Oh, I love David oh, Goggins. Oh, David can't, stay hard. can't hurt me on my bookshelf. Stay oh, hard. Oh, man, I've, I've read that thing like twice. It's, it's amazing. It's an amazing book. Mm-hmm. And so... He started this this challenge where you run because you know he's extreme. He's he's running a lot. <laughs> he's a lot. I fuck with it though. I, I me fuck too, with it. man. So you gotta take their like, souls, bro. I love his birthday. We send. I always send everyone the clip of him. I think he's wishing birthday to what's his face, Joe Rogan. Oh, yeah. Joe Rogan. Like the, te- yeah. the text message. 
I hope you're not on that couch being fucking soft. (laughs) He's like 12 exclamation points. You know, I I love it. Sorry, continue. Uh, But like, so the challenge was you run, because during COVID, I was in some of the best shape of my life. Me too. running, biking, doing the whole not eating really well. I didn't drink any alcohol because I wasn't going out. Mm -hmm. Like just all this other stuff. I had switched to primarily a plant-based diet unless I go to Taco Bell like late (laughs) night with my roommate. Every two weeks or so. Yeah. But, you know, so I'm doing all this stuff and he comes out with this challenge. You run four miles every four hours for 48 hours. So that comes out to you basically running a double marathon in two days. Damn. And so, Ugh. of course, I saw it and I was like, man, I want to I want to do some crazy shit like this. Why not? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I learned you learn so much about yourself and the power of your mind and, and your spirit and all these different things. But. The second 4 a.m. run, because we started at 8 p.m., mm-hmm. and then you go midnight, 4 a.m., 8 a.m., right? So the second 4 a.m. run, at this point, my body's, like, done. And, you know, I'm sleep-deprived, all these different things, and I'm just like, man, I don't really want to do this shit. What the fuck am I? Like, I don't have anything to prove to anybody, right? But then I was like, you know what, Wesley? Because I was posting it on Instagram every run to keep myself accountable. And like, you got it. It's the best tool. And like, so many people were, I, I can literally show you the screenshots of DMs and text messages of people being like, Wesley, like, you don't understand what that did for me, bro. Like, seeing you go through that and do that. But when, when the second 4 a.m. run, I ran it. And then afterwards, I had like another stream of consciousness where I'm talking to myself. And roosters are in the background and shit. Uh, <laughs> Sounds like <and> LA. <laughs> I really realized, like, when you commit to something, you have made a contract with yourself. Yes. No one else. Yes. And you have signed that with your your life force, with your blood. You have signed that with your blood, sweat, and tears. And if you can't uphold a contract with yourself, then how can you uphold any contract with anything in life that you do? You can't. How can you commit to anything? I'm not saying you have to go break your body and break your mind and do all this shit, but it kind of led me to, you know, when you have that moment where you're like, hmm, I want to quit. It's like, well, I made this commitment to myself that I'm going to stick with whatever this is, no matter how hard it gets, no matter how many no's I get told, no matter how far I have to go for this shit. You know what I'm saying? And I got to the next couple of runs and I kept going. And then we finished it. And I was like, nah, fuck it. I'm going to do a victory lap. And I did an extra four miles after mm. that just because I was just like, nah, like I got to like own this and like cap on it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So honor the contract that you make with yourself. Stay hard. Stay hard. <laughs> Stay hard. That is from David Goggins himself. Yeah. He'll probably, he will probably bitch me out right now. If, if oh he yeah. Knew me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's what he said. Me too. He'd that's be like, you little maggot. Yeah. Well, anyway. <laughs> Question number four. Yes, sir. What's your biggest failure and how did you stage your comeback? My thoughts on failure have changed, but yes, mm, I have two. One that's musical and one that's not musical. Let's let's Um, hear them. The musical one is I was in the finals for a job with the Atlanta Symphony. Okay. And at the, I like, I could see it in my grasp. Mm-hmm. You know, we played the final round, um, unscreened and everything for the committee. And they picked somebody else. And that, like, took a, that was a blow. That was a blow to have gotten so close and for it to be, like, your home orchestra and all these different yes. things. And, yes. you know, my family was like, well, Wes, you got to come back from L.A. Because I was still out here at that point. Yeah. Um, and it took me a couple months to really just kind of be like, hmm, damn, like, what am I doing with my life, you know? And so the bounce back for me was tapping into the other things that I knew how to do well. You know, I I have a band back in Georgia that we started called Misnomer, and we've been recording and playing tours and stuff in the Southeast. I have a percussion trio. I teach some. So I just use my other aspects of music making to kind of, like, push me forward. And then, like, you know, after that, you know, I was kind of pushed forward and I was like, okay, cool. Like, forget them. They missed out. That's not on me. That's on them. Um, yes. So the comeback from that was just really like owning the fact that I'm not going to let an- another group of people tell me what they don't like about what I do. 
because it can change on a different on a different day. Mm-hmm. And I'm not a terrible musician just because I didn't win. You know, because you tell yourself that you're like, man, I just there's something I didn't do. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, don't tell yourself that. It's not something that you didn't do. It's just something that they didn't hear mm-hmm. and they heard something else. So and then my other failure in life, man, it's about to be bad. But <laughs> in, high school, in high school, you know, I was like three timing. It was pretty three bad. Time. Yeah. Uh, and. Long story short, I promised myself I'd never do anything like that again. Mm-hmm. But the comeback from that, as I failed as a person because there was three people that really looked up to me. And it was one of those things where they really trusted me and I kind of abused that trust. Mm-hmm. And years later now, I have so much more of an open mind about what people are dealing with and all these different things. And I just kind of, I kind of look to people and say, man, like, I don't know what you're going through, but... I know what it's like to hurt people <laughs> and mm-hmm. I know what it's like to be hurt. So having that double perspective or dual perspective is just like, yeah. wow. So my bounce back is just me being able to speak the way I speak now, because like it's prompted me to read more books about people, like reading the art of living by Thich Nhat Hanh, mm-hmm. reading uh, these books by Jonathan Haidt, who's a, a professional psychologist in politics and religion, um, reading Musashi's Dokoto, where he wrote like these 20 precepts, before he passed away in like a cave by himself, he was a famous swordsman in like, you know, Edo era Japan. Like just yeah. finding you need to all send these me things. That one. Yeah, wait, we got good thing we're send recording me, this. I got, send we got, me that <laughs> one. Jeez. Or like a really good one I just read uh, by Bruce Lee's daughter that basically talks about his teachings called uh, "Be Water, My Friend." It's yes, called the teachings of Bruce Lee by mm. Shannon Lee, and that book is amazing. She just basically breaks down his life and his philosophies and everything he did and how it pertained to her life and how it can pertain to all of our lives and, you know, just all these different things. But yeah. I I feel like if I didn't have a, a time of reflection during like breaking hearts like that, um, I don't think I would have cared enough to continue to better myself and just be a little more open and, you know, so, cause I ain't want to be labeled as a dog and you know, shit like that. Yeah, you know? exactly. Like, I'm a sweetheart, you know. <laughs> you are a sweetheart, just, man. Just a bulldog. Go Georgia. Just a, you know, just, just a bulldog. Just, just Only a bulldog. Only a bulldog. A Q dog. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for for sharing that with us. And we got one more. We got a final question for you. My man. Yeah, yeah. So if you could go back in time and tell your ten year old self something, something important that you think would be indispensable, mm-hmm. what would what would it be? Two things. Okay. First, I'd be like, bruh, it ain't that deep. <laughs> <laughs> that is literally what I would say. Yes. It ain't that deep. It ain't that deep. It ain't that deep. There's a guy, uh, he's on YouTube, his name's Sadguru. He's like uh, like this Indian guy who, yeah, I'm sure you've seen his yeah. stuff on Instagram. Stuff. But he had a very good quote. He was like, does anyone have a manual on life? Like a manual on how this is supposed to be done. And then everybody's like, no. He was like, so the, why do we think we have all the tools to be able to like do this well when we can mess this all up and this that like they can do whatever it wants to do. You don't, you know, basically going back to the thought of us like not having control, but yeah. it's more so on the lines of like, it's okay to fuck up. Yeah. That's how it's you okay. React. You know, it's that you have to be the best version of yourself at that time. And sometimes the best version of yourself at that time is the worst version of yourself. <laughs> but you have to live honestly. And like I was watching a video of Mike Tyson two days ago. Yeah. And you know, people look, it's a Jimmy Kimmel thing where they're like, what do you think of Mike Tyson? And then he walks up behind them and scares him. And one dude's like, he's crazy. One dude's like, man, I just love how he's like transitioning to this thing. Well, then, you know, that and I thought like, but Mike Tyson was like being Mike Tyson at whatever time he could be. Obviously, I don't condone some of the stuff he's done, but at the same time, he's he was just being who he could be at the time or what insight he had of himself mm-hmm. at that time. Mm-hmm. And to see him transition to what he is now, yes. you're just like, how? There's no way someone who was like that is like this now. There's mm-hmm. no way. You, you know? also have to look at like the indoctrination in his early life. Right. You know, yeah. all the, yeah. the psychological warfare that he had to not only survive, but then overcome later. You yeah. know, so it is, uh, that's so true. He was doing the best he could with what he had. You're right. So right. Yeah. 
And then my second thing I'd say is just very simple. Just, you know, tell people you love them. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. we are getting older. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we ain't old. You're not old till you're 75. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> so you get the AARP I, benefits. I feel like know. it though. It's my my lower my back. back. <laughs> my back. Uh, but it's like, you know, I've had friends who passed on. I've had friends who are getting married, having kids, and all this other stuff, and family members who passed on, like teachers, all these different things. It's hard to say to yourself, man, I wish I would have called somebody or man, I wish I was here for this person, like for their wedding or for, you know, the birth of their child or for these big moments in their lives. It's like just take the time to really like express love and express, you know, gratitude for being in each other's lives, Mm -hmm. you know, and being open. Mm -hmm. So that's what I would tell my 10 year old self. I don't know what I was doing at 10 years old, but I definitely wasn't loving everybody. So Wesley Sumter, thank you so much for coming here on the Faking Those Podcast. It's been so much fun. Man, thank y'all for having me, man. Of course, man. And I appreciate and you. We gotta I do this again. You. It like if you if you really serious about doing that production thing, we gotta we gotta make some beats, bro. Oh man, I already got like a catalog. Uh, okay. We gotta <laughs> we gotta exchange some some hard drives then. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, we'll get boss, it done, bro. Bye, we'll get man. it done. But no, man, this is a great you know, I've watched a couple of you guys' other podcast videos just to kind of get a vibe for it. And I mean, y'all stay true to it. I, I appreciate it. It's great. <laughs> you know, it's great to watch and it's even better to be a part of. But yeah, y'all are creating something really, really beautiful here, man. Like, Thank you. Thank you know, I feel you. like this is a space people can really not necessarily learn from just a space where people can just freely receive something, you know, and without expecting anything. They can just be like, oh, let's see what this is. Oh, oh, okay. Oh, that's some funny shit. Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, and that's just cool. And, and thank y'all for creating such a warm environment like that. You know, pleasure. You know, I didn't feel like I was in front of like a hundred cameras and no shit like that. Yeah. <laughs> no, this. I mean, this has been great. You know, I look forward to. You know, let's bring it back. We'll we'll run it back. We'll have to run it back. Hey man, yeah. I'm just looking forward to seeing how much bigger this thing gets for y'all, man. This is this is great. This is a great man. avenue, great venture. Thank you. Thank you very much. Till next time. Till mm. next time, brothers. Yes, sir. Yeah.